This is Chapter Thirty Six of Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc by Mark Twain, Volume Two, Book Two, Chapter Thirty Six. Joan hears news from home. We mounted and rode, a spectacle to remember, a most noble display of rich vestments and nodding plumes, and as we moved between the banked multitudes, they sank down all along abreast of us as we advanced, like grain before the reaper, and kneeling, hailed with a rousing welcome the consecrated king and his companion, the deliverer of France but by and by when we had paraded about the chief parts of the city and were come near to the end of our course we being now approaching the archbishop's palace one saw on the right hard by the inn that is called the zebra a strange thing two men not kneeling but standing standing in the front rank of the kneelers unconscious transfixed staring yes and clothed in the coarse garb of the peasantry these two two halberdiers sprang at them in a fury to teach them better manners but just as they seized them joan cried out forbear and slid from her saddle and flung her arms about one of those peasants calling him by all manner of endearing names and sobbing for it was her father and the other was her uncle laxart the news flew everywhere and shouts of welcome were raised and in just one little moment those two despised and unknown plebeians were become famous and popular and envied and everybody was in a fever to get sight of them and be able to say all their lives long that they had seen the father of joan of arc and the brother of her mother how easy it was for her to do miracles like to this she was like the sun on whatsoever dim and humble object her rays fell that thing was straightway drowned in glory all graciously the king said bring them to me and she brought them she radiant with happiness and affection they trembling and scared with their caps in their shaking hands and there before all the world the king gave them his hand to kiss while the people gazed in envy and admiration and he said to old dark give god thanks for that you are father to this child this dispenser of immortalities you who bear a name that will still live in the mouths of men when all the race of kings has been forgotten it is not meet that you bear your head before the fleeting fames and dignities of a day cover yourself and truly he looked right fine and princely when he said that then he gave order that the bailey of reims be brought and when he was come and stood bent low and bare the king said to him these two are guests of france and bade him use them hospitably i may as well say now as later that papa d'arc and laxart were stopping in that little zebra inn and that there they remained finer quarters were offered them by the bailey also public distinctions and brave entertainment but they were frightened at these projects they being only humble and ignorant peasants so they begged off and had peace they could not have enjoyed such things poor souls they did not even know what to do with their hands and it took all their attention to keep from treading on them the bailey did the best he could in the circumstances he made the innkeeper place a whole floor at their disposal and told him to provide everything they might desire and charge all to the city also the bailey gave them a horse apiece and furnishings which so overwhelmed them with pride and delight and astonishment that they couldn't speak a word 
for in their lives they had never dreamed of wealth like this, and could not believe, at first, that the horses were real, and would not dissolve to a mist and blow away. They could not unglue their minds from those grandeurs, and were always wrenching the conversation out of its groove, and dragging the matter of animals into it, so that they could say, my horse here, and my horse there, and yonder, and all around, and taste the words, and lick their chops over them, and spread their legs, and hitch their thumbs in their armpits, and feel as the good God feels when he looks out on his fleets of constellations ploughing the awful deeps of space, and reflects with satisfaction that they are his, all his. Well, they were the happiest old children one ever saw and the simplest. The city gave a grand banquet to the king and Joan in mid-afternoon, and to the court and the grand staff, and about the middle of it Per d'Arc and Laxart were sent for, but would not venture until it was promised that they might sit in a gallery and be all by themselves and see all that was to be seen, and yet be unmolested. And so they sat there and looked down upon the splendid spectacle, and were moved till the tears ran down their cheeks to see the unbelievable honors that were paid to their small darling, and how naively serene and unafraid she sat there with those consuming glories beating upon her. But at last her serenity was broken up. Yes, it stood the strain of the king's gracious speech, and of d'Alencon's praiseful words, and the bastards, and even La Hire's thunderblast, which took the place by storm. But at last, as I have said, they brought a force to bear which was too strong for her. For at the close the king put up his hand to command silence, and so waited, with his hand up, till every sound was dead, and it was as if one could almost feel the stillness, so profound it was. Then out of some remote corner of that vast place there rose a plaintive voice, and in tones most tender and sweet and rich came floating through that enchanted hush our poor old simple song, L'Arbre Fait Bourlemont. And then Joan broke down and put her face in her hands and cried. Yes, you see, all in a moment the pomps and grandeurs dissolved away, and she was a little child again, herding her sheep with the tranquil pastures stretched about her, and war and wounds and blood and death, and the mad frenzy and turmoil of battle, a dream. Ah, uh, that shows you the power of music, that magician of magicians, who lifts his wand and says his mysterious word, and all things real pass away, and the phantoms of your mind walk before you, clothed in flesh. That was the king's invention, that sweet and dear surprise. Indeed, he had fine things hidden away in his nature, though one seldom got a glimpse of them, with that scheming Trumui and those others always standing in the light, and he so indolently content to save himself fuss and argument and let them have their way. At the fall of night we, the Domremy contingent of the personal staff, were with the father and uncle at the inn, in their private parlour, brewing generous drinks and breaking ground for a homely talk about Domremy and the neighbors, when a large parcel arrived from Joan to be kept till she came. And soon she came herself and sent her guard away, saying she would take one of her father's rooms and sleep under his roof, and so be at home again. We of the staff rose and stood, as was meet, until she made us sit. Then she turned and saw that the two old men had gotten up too and were standing in an embarrassed and unmilitary way, which made her want to laugh, but she kept it in, as not wishing to hurt them. 
and got them to their seats and snuggled down between them and took a hand of each of them upon her knees and nestled her own hands in them and said now we will have no more ceremony but be kin and playmates as in other times for i am done with the great wars now and you two will take me home with you and i shall see she stopped and for a moment her happy face sobered as if a doubt or a presentiment had flitted through her mind then it cleared again and she said with a passionate yearning oh if the day were but come and we could start the old father was surprised and said why child are you in earnest would you leave doing these wonders that make you to be praised by everybody while there is still so much glory to be won and would you go out from this grand comradeship with princes and generals to be a drudging villager again and a nobody it is not rational no said the uncle laxart it is amazing to hear and indeed not understandable it is a stranger thing to hear her say she will stop the soldiering than it was to hear her say she would begin it and i who speak to you can say in all truth that that was the strangest word that ever i had heard till this day and hour i would it could be explained it is not difficult said joan i was not ever fond of wounds and suffering nor fitted by my nature to inflict them and quarrelings did always distress me and noise and tumult were against my liking my disposition being toward peace and quietness and love for all things that have life and being made like this how could i bear to think of wars and blood and the pain that goes with them and the sorrow and mourning that follow after but by his angels god laid his great commands upon me and could i disobey i did as i was bid did he command me to do many things no only two to raise the siege of orleans and crown the king at rheims the task is finished and i am free has ever a poor soldier fallen in my sight whether friend or foe and i not felt the pain in my own body and the grief of his home-mates in my own heart no not one and oh it is such bliss to know that my release is won and that i shall not any more see these cruel things or suffer these tortures of the mind again then why should i not go to my village and be as i was before it is heaven and ye wonder that i desire it ah ye are men just men my mother would understand they didn't quite know what to say so they sat still a while looking pretty vacant then old dark said yes your mother th that is true i never saw such a woman she worries and worries and worries and wakes nights and lies so thinking that is worrying worrying about you and when the night storms go raging along she moans and says ah god pity her she is out in this with her poor wet soldiers and when the lightning glares and the thunder crashes she wrings her hands and trembles saying it is like the awful cannon and the flash and yonder somewhere she is riding down upon the spouting guns and i not there to protect her ah poor mother it is a pity it is a pity yes 
a most strange woman as i have noticed a many times when there is news of a victory and all the village goes mad with pride and joy she rushes here and there in a maniacal frenzy till she finds out the one only thing she cares to know that you are safe then down she goes on her knees in the dirt and praises god as long as there is any breath left in her body and all on your account for she never mentions the battle once and always she says now it is over now france is saved now she will come home and always is disappointed and goes about mourning don't father it breaks my heart i will be so good to her when i get home i will do her work for her and be her comfort and she shall not suffer any more through me there was some more talk of this sort then uncle laxart said you have done the will of god dear and are quits it is true and none may deny it but what of the king you are his best soldier what if he commands you to stay that was a crusher and sudden it took joan a moment or two to recover from the shock of it then she said quite simply and resignedly the king is my lord and i am his servant she was silent and thoughtful a little while then she brightened up and said cheerily but let us drive such thoughts away this is no time for them tell me about home so the two old gossips talked and talked talked about everything and everybody in the village and it was good to hear joan out of her kindness tried to get us into the conversation but that failed of course she was the commander-in-chief we were nobodies her name was the mightiest in france we were invisible atoms she was the comrade of princes and heroes we of the humble and obscure she held rank above all personages and all puissances whatsoever in the whole world by right of bearing her commission direct from god to put it in one word she was joan of arc and when that is said all is said to us she was divine between her and us lay the bridgeless abyss which that word implies we could not be familiar with her no you can see yourselves that that would have been impossible and yet she was so human too and so good and kind and dear and loving and cheery and charming and unspoiled and unaffected those are all the words i think of now but they are not enough no they are too few and colorless and meagre to tell it all or tell the half those simple old men didn't realize her they couldn't they had never known any people but human beings and so they had no other standard to measure her by to them after their first little shyness had worn off she was just a girl that was all it was amazing it made one shiver sometimes to see how calm and easy and comfortable they were in her presence and hear them talk to her exactly as they would have talked to any other girl in france why that simple old laxart sat up there and droned out the most tedious and empty tale one ever heard and neither he nor papa dark ever gave a thought to the badness of the etiquette of it or ever suspected that that foolish tale was anything but dignified and valuable history there was not an atom of value in it and whilst they thought it distressing and pathetic it was in fact not pathetic at all but actually ridiculous at least it seemed so to me and it seems so yet indeed i know it was because it made joan laugh and the more sorrowful it got the more it made her laugh and the paladin said that he could have laughed himself if she had not been there 
and noel regesson said the same it was about old laxart going to a funeral there at domremy two or three weeks back he had spots all over his face and hands and he got joan to rub some healing ointment on them and while she was doing it and comforting him and trying to say pitying things to him he told her how it happened and first he asked her if she remembered that black bull calf that she left behind when she came away and she said indeed she did and he was a dear and she loved him so and was he well and just drowned him in questions about that creature and he said it was a young bull now and very frisky and he was to bear a principal hand at a funeral and she said the bull and he said no myself but said the bull did take a hand but not because of his being invited for he wasn't but anyway he was away over beyond the fairy tree and fell asleep on the grass with his sunday funeral clothes on and a long black rag on his hat and hanging down his back and when he woke he saw by the sun how late it was and not a moment to lose and jumped up terribly worried and saw the young bull grazing there and thought maybe he could ride part way on him and gain time so he tied a rope around the bull's body to hold on by and put a halter on him to steer with and jumped on and started but it was all new to the bull and he was discontented with it and scurried around and bellowed and reared and pranced and uncle laxart was satisfied and wanted to get off and go by the next bull or some other way that was quieter but he didn't dare try and it was getting very warm for him too and disturbing and wearisome and not proper for sunday but by and by the bull lost all his temper and went tearing down the slope with his tail in the air and blowing in the most awful way and just in the edge of the village he knocked down some beehives and the bees turned out and joined the excursion and soared along in a black cloud that nearly hid those other two from sight and prodded them both and jabbed them and speared them and spiked them and made them bellow and shriek and shriek and bellow and here they came roaring through the village like a hurricane and took the funeral procession right in the center and sent that section of it sprawling and galloping over it and the rest scattered apart and fled screeching in every direction every person with a layer of bees on him and not a rag of that funeral left but the corpse and finally the bull broke for the river and jumped in and when they fished uncle laxart out he was nearly drowned and his face looked like a pudding with raisins in it and then he turned around this old simpleton and looked a long time in a dazed way at joan where she had her face in a cushion dying apparently and says what do you reckon she is laughing at and old dark stood looking at her the same way sort of absently scratching his head but had to give it up and said he didn't know must have been something that happened when we weren't noticing yes both of those old people thought that that tale was pathetic whereas to my mind it was purely ridiculous and not in any way valuable to any one it seemed so to me then and it seems so to me yet and as for history it does not resemble history for the office of history is to furnish serious and important facts that teach whereas this strange and useless event teaches nothing nothing that i can see except not to ride a bull to a funeral and surely no reflecting person needs to be taught that End of chapter 36